It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Sunday, May 8, 2022. I'm Jared Halper. President Biden plays offense as midterm elections near. Because this MAGA crowd is really the most extreme political organization that's existed in American history. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. After lagging in the polls, the man backed by former President Trump in Ohio's Republican Senate primary won Tuesday night. But the former president may face an even bigger test later this month in Pennsylvania. In Ohio, with J.D. Vance, the attacks on Vance were that he was once an anti-Trumper. The attacks on Oz go a lot deeper. It's more along the lines that he supported Hillary Clinton. He supports transgender rights. He is not one of you. This is the Fox News Rundown from Washington. Did you know that every major diaper company either financially or vocally supports abortion? If that appalls you and you're looking to support a baby brand that aligns with your pro-life, pro-family views, then Every Life is your solution. Every Life firmly believes that regardless of where someone is from, what they look like, or whether they were planned or unplanned, every baby is a miracle from God worthy of love, protection, and celebration. Every Life offers high-performing, supremely soft, premium diapers and wipes delivered right to your doorstep. Their diapers are crafted without fragrances, dyes, lotions, latex, parabens, or phthalates. And you can feel good knowing that every purchase with Every Life contributes to changing lives through their support of pro-life organizations and pregnancy resource centers. Every Life is not just changing diapers, they're changing lives. Visit everylife.com to learn more. That's everylife.com. And don't forget to use promo code Duffy10 for an exclusive 10% discount on your first order today. President Biden has a new line to describe Republicans in Congress and running for office. Ultra MAGA. Here's what he said in remarks about reducing the deficit and reforming the tax code. I don't want to hear Republicans talk about deficits and their ultra MAGA agenda. I want to hear about fairness. I want to hear about decency. I want to hear about help on ordinary people. A few minutes later, the president was asked about that draft Supreme Court opinion striking down the Roe v. Wade abortion protections. What are the next things that are going to be attacked? Because this MAGA crowd is really the most extreme political ex- organization that's existed in American history, in recent American history. We also learned this week that President Biden will soon have a new top spokesperson. Press Secretary Jen Psaki is stepping down Friday. So let's review the week that was with Fox News White House correspondent Peter Ducey. You know, where I wanted to start this week, only because it sounded new to my ear, you're at the White House more frequently than I am. So I'm curious what your reaction was when you first heard it. Uh, The president sort of laying out now this midterm messaging and using this phrase. What was it? uh, Super MAGA, ultra MAGA. I think it was ultra MAGA, right? Is that new language now that the White House, that the president's putting out here ahead of the midterms? It is new language. We had previously heard him refer more to his predecessor uh, as my predecessor or by name. Uh, But I saw somebody, one of the other uh, Nets went through all the White House transcripts and they could only find 
one other time that the president has ever said MAGA here at the White House, and that was in the context of trying to get people vaccinated in the early days of the White House's big vaccine push. And so uh, that is new language. Uh, Will kind of describing Republican plans or trying to cast Republican plans negatively as ultra MAGA, will that bring Trump supporters into the president's tent? I don't know, Uh, but we'll find out soon enough. May, I mean, I guess that strategy could be trying to prevent people from going into the MAGA tent or going into the Republican tent, right? Is that maybe because it, it seems that like in both parties do this, like you run the race you want to run, right? And, and just because Biden isn't on the ballot doesn't mean that he's not going to appear like in every midterm ad. Just because the former president isn't on the ballot doesn't mean he's not going to appear in every midterm ad, right? I mean, is that kind of what's yeah, at play I, here? <laughs> I mean, what we heard more uh, from White House officials this week is, okay, So Trump's not on the ballot, but there are still a lot of people in Congress who support Trump era policies. That's what they're trying to go after. Uh, But again, it is uh, that is not necessarily and just, uh, you know, this is not my opinion. This is just the fact of what they're saying. Uh, It's not really a look forward. It is a look Mm -hmm. back. No, uh, you're right. They they are talking about uh, somebody who. is not the president right now and might not run for president again. I mean, and that it, would be Donald Trump. <laughs> I mean, but it's interesting, right? Because like it, it feels like, um, you know, the two most important people in the midterm elections are still Biden and Trump, <laughs> even though like absolutely, you know, and obviously midterms are always a referendum on sort of the party in power. So it's probably not unusual that Biden's going to be a big beat deal come midterm time. But trying to think of a, an example where the midterms were about the previous president as well. And it's an interesting dynamic. Now, part of that, I suppose, is because there are a lot of Republicans who are working really hard to get that endorsement from from Trump. And we've seen just in Ohio this week, for instance, the uh, the power that, that that endorsement can have. You know, one way to look at it, Jared, I would say, is that uh, the midterm, the early midterm polls have looked pretty grim for the president's party. Uh, but the last election, they won running against Trump. So maybe they're just going back to what they know works. Hey, <laughs> right. we did okay yeah, no, listen, last that's, time. That's a good point. <laughs> listen, yeah, you you uh, dance with the one. Go with what there. you know. Well, and I mean, and, and the other, I mean, because we heard the president say a lot, and I think Jin Psaki said it this week. Um, you know, he likes to say, don't, what, don't judge me against the almighty, judge me against the alternative. Oh, yeah. Uh, a classic Bidenism. Yeah. <laughs> what does he mean by that? I mean, it, it's don't. You know, it, it's what compare me to to what could be to Donald Trump and not to God. I think, <laughs> well, is, uh, but it's <laughs> also like not just his record, right? He's, don't look just at at the president's record. Look at what the record could be. A hundred percent. And if you look back the the last election where they ran against Trump, it wasn't really about policy. You know, there was because if the election was really all about covid it was just well i would do a better job without a ton of specifics but it was a it was a clash of personalities mm-hmm. and you know maybe trump gets more involved maybe he doesn't he does these big rallies um for some of the primary candidates in the midterms but i i, I don't know I, I just don't know uh whether or not this, how this strategy is going to work for these White House. It'll be interesting to see, yeah, how long, how sustained it is. Um, 
Let's switch gears a little bit because there was, uh, or we're going to have, I guess, a changing of the guard at the uh, press briefings. Uh, not a big surprise that Jen Psaki is leaving. I know that she had said for a long time that she was going to leave at some point this year. We now know that that is going to be next Friday will be her last day uh, as the press secretary. She will be replaced by who has been her longtime number two in Corrine Jean-Pierre. Um, Corrine's not unknown to the press corps. This should be a pretty smooth transition, right? Absolutely. And uh, my experience with her from the beginning is that uh, she's always been very proactive. Uh, she always wants to make sure that the press team is prepared for what might be coming at the briefing. Um, and not necessarily, she's not somebody that would ask for questions, but just wants to make sure, you know, hey, what are you guys covering? And, mm -hmm. you know, I can direct you to X department or Y department. And so uh, we hope that that continues. Have no reason to think that it won't uh, now that she's got the top job. You know, I, I want to talk a little bit about these press briefings, because I think, you know, a lot of people, obviously, your your question and answer sessions with with Jen have sometimes gone viral, I suppose. Um, and I mean, I think people can look at that from the outside and, and see that it's a very adversarial role. And, and certainly that's part of it. Right. But there's not a lot of animosity between a press secretary and a press corps, is there? Um, no. And, you know, the press corps is not really in there advocating for a position they are they are trying to just get the administration to defend their position or to explain their position and so that's a very important difference that i i think might sometimes get lost yeah. um but but so no no animosity you know the the press and this lighthouse has been good about you know treating uh, the my, my experience has always been I, I've always felt like they uh, treat us with respect as a as a group. I think it's good to hear. I mean, and you had a good relationship with Jen. There's no I, I know you uh, you wished her well and she kind of joked with you about it at the briefing the other day. Yeah, no, I um, <laughs> and I do. And uh, she I, I do think there are a lot of people out there watching who have learned a lot about issues they might not have normally known about or followed or cared about uh, because they saw a TikTok or uh, an Instagram of some uh, some briefing room thing. So I, for that reason, she she did her job very effectively. Um, do we know what her next plans? I know she hasn't said there's a lot of reporting out there. There's been widespread reporting. She'll be going to one of our rival cable yeah. nets, but uh, she has not confirmed that yet. And I, I think there are some... Uh, Government well, ethics, can. yeah. I think there's some issues. Ethics. She's not allowed to, yeah. Right, right. But okay. uh, I, I don't think we're going to have to wait too long to find out about that. Uh, probably not. Uh, usually, it's a pretty smooth transition for whoever becomes uh, a former White House president. Usually, they have a pretty good landing spot if you look back in in recent history over the last few uh, administrations. It is a tough job to be sure. Um, let's finish with this conversation about uh, Kareen because uh, you know it came up too in her announcement. This is, uh, in many ways, a history-making selection. Uh, diversity, having an administration that the president likes to say looks like America, is very important for this administration. This sort of follows that trend, no? Absolutely. And they made a point yesterday when announcing Corrine at what was a very emotional mm -hmm. ceremony, uh, kind of a ceremonial changing of the guard. Yeah, kind um, of impromptu between and Jen. Some, some hugs and, and tears, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, Jen... I uh, made a point to say, and, and so did Corrine, that representation matters to this White House. And, um, you know, Corrine's remarks, she talked about how she hopes that her being there 
in the top job is inspirational to young boys and girls who might see a picture of her or see a clip of her. And that's, that is what they're going for. Let me finish with this. Um, just sort of as we look ahead now, the president has been on the road a lot more. Obviously, part of that is, you know, is they get a handle on COVID. I think there's a uh, maybe more comfort in traveling and having the president get out there. Um, is that expected to run through November? I mean, is this going to be a president that is I think he was on the road a couple of days this week. And is, is that going to be the way that it is now through November? It is going to be like that. And they're also going to use all the toys that none of the Republican colleagues have like the the big air force one and the full presidential package <laughs> on two two pretty sizable uh trips to asia between now and the midterms and mm-hmm. so i uh, we do expect to see him a lot more and if you look at the places that he goes like he's not in cincinnati by accident oh is that today. not <laughs> oh is that not a coincidence that it's a major uh senate race and he's just happened to find a manufacturing plant to speak there yeah, you know, that, that one little part of Ohio that borders <laughs> Kentucky is always where, uh, historically, recent history, that uh, state has been decided. And so, you know, they could go anywhere to highlight upgrades in technology and the Biden plan <laughs> and to give comments on jobs. Uh, so I, I think we I, you look at his upcoming events and whenever they announce one, just think, oh, that's that's where uh, I saw a reporter last presidential election day <laughs> we, we know at least funny at that least they're for back. guys like us like we know where to go eat we know like <laughs> oh yeah i guess the one oh, exception yeah. was last week the president was in alabama that state's probably still not in play hey doug jones <laughs> won there well, a couple years fair. ago that's statewide fair. that's so. fair it was an interesting visit though to uh the the uh javelin uh factory um it was no photo op of him uh blasting one off but there's always <laughs> next time well that's but that's a i mean that signals really the priority remains Ukraine, right? I mean, everything else is kind of like 1A or below. I think that's the thing that requires the most like urgent attention uh-huh. on a daily basis. But their priority, I think, is the economy mm-hmm. and inflation. And trying to what figure out sort of how far a president can go and, and trying to get Congress to go along with it? Yes, yes. What does that look like moving forward? Obviously, Build Back Better is not happening. Are there still elements of that that they feel confident can get done? Well, they might just try to sneak it in somewhere else, you know, stick it into a COVID bill, stick it into a... a, Now there's talk about this climate change bill. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of different things that you can uh, use as a a vessel, Uh, (laughs) kind of like a Trojan horse, just to, you know, fill it with other stuff that they think they need to do. And so... I, we don't know what it looks like. They don't have a preferred plan, but I, they will. They will when they need to. <laughs> Spoken like somebody who's been covering this administration for a while, as you have. Uh, Peter, uh, thanks for uh, going out in the rain there for us uh, to do this, and we'll talk soon. Thanks a lot, Jared. Last week, the political analysts and pundits wondered if former President Trump would win in Ohio. He did. His endorsed candidate won the Ohio Republican Senate primary, but the next test may be more difficult when Pennsylvania holds its primaries May 17th. Trump has backed Dr. Mehmet Oz, a pick that has angered some conservatives and pushed them toward the man he's running against, Army veteran and hedge fund CEO David McCormick. He's got a whole series of positions. He had a 20-year career on television and on the radio where he was uh, pro-abortion, anti-gun, pro-Obamacare, anti-fracking, and pro-transgender transitions for kids. 
Oz has rejected that and said many of the clips from his show are not of him endorsing certain positions, but debating and entertaining them as his show looked at multiple sides of an issue. The reason President Trump endorsed me and he gave a lot was that he knew I would win in November. The question is, does Ohio provide any insight or is Pennsylvania its own ball of wax? Because in just a few weeks, J.D. Vance went from roughly third place in Ohio polling to winning the Republican primary after the Trump endorsements. Vance immediately set his sights on his Democratic challenger, Ohio Congressman Tim Ryan, who won his primary. He spent a lot of time talking about jobs, manufacturing and energy production, though Vance notes he's voted consistently with President Biden. Because as much as he will try to claim that he's one thing, his voting record and the evidence suggests that he is the very worst of modern American politics. Ryan essentially said after his victory that the worst of American politics is in the party labeling as he runs in a state that is trending red. He said everyone's just trying to build a better future. It doesn't come from us looking at each other and seeing a Democrat or seeing a Republican. It comes by us looking at each other and seeing Americans, fellow Americans. But in the end, blue and red is how most voters pick most ballots. Big win for J.D. Vance, big win for President Trump. And it really was Donald Trump's endorsement in a very crowded primary field where all of the Republican candidates had some pretty significant baggage. Josh Grasshauer is a Fox News political analyst. When Trump endorsed Vance, he propelled the candidate from third, fourth place all the way to the top. And he won 32 percent of the vote, which was good enough for a clear win. It didn't amount to a majority of the Republican vote that that backed Trump's candidate. But clearly, Trump was the kingmaker in Ohio. He was able to get Vance across the finish line. And that's a a nice bit of momentum to start out what's going to be a very big and consequential month for Donald Trump in these big Republican primaries. Yes, we will talk about Pennsylvania and Georgia as well in a moment. But let's continue with Ohio because uh, Ohio Congressman Tim Ryan, the Democrat, he won the, the Democratic primary in the Senate race. So he's now going to be campaigning against J.D. Vance. I think everybody was anticipating this to some degree. What is this campaign? What are these two, you know, Tim Ryan and J.D. Vance, what are Ohioans going to experience over the next few months in terms of ads, in terms of, you know, how these two plan to campaign against each other? Well, these these are inter- two interesting candidates that have at times run against elements of their own party. I mean, let's start with Tim Ryan, who's a Democrat from from Northeast Ohio, a congressman who is trying to do everything possible in the first a couple months uh, or the last couple months of trying to distance himself from his party's view on law and order issues. He has a new ad up saying he wants to fund the police. He is a Sherrod Brown style Democrat who really is leaning in to trade issues to, to China. Uh, one of one of his earliest ads bashes China so much to the point where some progressives were uncomfortable with, with the message in the advertisement, even though it does appeal to the working class voters that are so important to win over in, in Ohio. So Ryan is a is a Sherrod Brown Democrat. He is more moderate on some positions, but on abortion, for example, he has uh, you know generally been with the the overall mood, the overall pro choice mood of his party. Um, the, the challenge for someone like Ryan, though, is Ohio is a state that is trending decidedly in a Republican direction, decidedly in a Trumpian direction. So Obama carried Ohio twice. Donald Trump easily won Ohio in both 
of, of his election. So, you know, Tim Ryan's going to be fighting an uphill battle uh, in that red, now red state in an environment that's looking pretty, pretty favorable for the Republican Party. Now, J.D. Vance is a, is a newcomer to politics. He, he took, took, a, took him a while to catch fire in the Republican primary until he got Trump's endorsement. Uh, what's going to be interesting to see Vance's campaign is whether he can kind of consolidate the Republican support, whether, you know, his uh, sort of unique message. He, he wrote a book talking about how, you know, using the example of his own family, how a lot of the working class uh, voters have felt alienated from from, you know, the political establishment, from, you know, leaders in Washington. And that was a big message that he uh, outlined on his own campaign. He was more to the left, perhaps, of your typical Republicans on economic issues, talking about, you know, attacking Harvard's endowment and uh, really focusing on on both economic and cultural issues, uh, cultural issues to the right of where some Republicans may have typically been, economic issues to the left of where Republican leaders have typically been. Certainly Rob Portman uh, has been as a senator. So, you know, and Vance, by the way, went on Tucker Carlson's show and spent more time attacking his own party is corrupt than attacking tim ryan so uh you know this these are two interesting characters big names big personalities feisty uh you know vance clearly starts out with a sizable advantage the question the only question is can he consolidate republican support can he continue the momentum he's had without making any 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 rookie mistakes on the campaign trail and briefly josh the the house races there are two that are considered um up for grab, like toss-ups in the fall that are in Ohio. They are currently held by Democrats. Um, did anything come out of Ohio primary night that was of note uh, in the House uh, in terms of, of who won primaries? Yeah, the big story that, that almost got o- overlooked on election night was an upset in the new district where Marcy Kaptur, uh has represented for many, many years. She's the Democratic congresswoman. She's been a, a very pro-labor, work, you know, very, very, very uh, throwback type member who's running for re-election in a new and Trumpier district. The Republicans nominated the, the, uh, an outsider, someone who was not thought of as, thought of as a front runner. He's a farmer, an Af- Afghan war veteran, uh, and he's also, you know, kind of been tied to, to, to the MAGA movement very closely. He's more, more, more MAGA than the two other Republicans he ran against. J.R. Majeski, Majeski is his name, and it's going to be a real test, uh, of, 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 in that race. It's a, New district, Trump won it by a few points. It's going to be a test of whether, like, the true MAGA candidates can win in 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 a swing district uh, in this election. You know, I think he starts out as 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 a, at least a, no worse than a toss up, uh, no worse than having a fifty fifty odds of winning against longtime Congresswoman Captor. But this will be a big test in Ohio of whether someone who is the true MAGA, who is as loyal to Trump as you can get, uh, running against a, a traditional Democratic lawmaker. Interesting. Okay, so let's move to Pennsylvania, right? Because they have their primary next, and there's a lot of attention on the Senate race there. Dr. Oz has been endorsed by the former president, Donald Trump. But a lot of conservatives in Pennsylvania, like David McCormick, he's a really impressive resume. Do we take any lessons away from Ohio, from J.D. Vance, moving up as quickly as he did in the polls and apply it to Dr. Oz in the same way? Or is is Pennsylvania really a, a, a bigger test? I get the I get the sense that it is a bigger test that some conservatives are are really upset with this pick. Yeah, he he's run into some headwinds from his own supporters. Trump has 
because of his endorsement of Dr. Oz. And in Ohio, with J.D. Vance, the attacks on Vance were that he was once an anti-Trumper. The attacks on Oz go a lot deeper. It's more along the lines that he supported Hillary Clinton. He supports transgender rights. He is not one of you. And, and there's plenty of footage from his uh, show, the Dr. Oz show, where he says these things that are well out of step with where a lot of conservative Trump supporters are. Uh, so, I, you know, I, I think the, the leading candidate there is not Dr. Oz. I think the momentum is now with David McCormick, who's a you know, hedge fund, uh, former hedge fund co-CEO. He's married to Trump's uh, deputy, uh, former deputy national security advisor, Athena Powell. And he has a lot of heavy hitters in his corner from Trump world. McCormick is spending lots of money. He is attacking Oz relentlessly. And, I, you know, I think when it comes to these issues matter uh, for these Republican voters. And I, I don't think that there's a lot of uh, confidence that Trump is consistent his endorsement is consistent mm -hmm. with the values that these uh, republican voters share in pennsylvania talk to me about the democratic race though there was there was sort of a lot of i guess expectation around connor lamb after he won his his house seat um i guess he's considered more moderate but the polling has has john fetterman the lieutenant governor there, just running away with with this race um i he had run before in 2016, and I was reading that he was not taken seriously. Uh, the fundraising was very difficult back then. And, and now it's almost like he's turned into this like progressive figurehead of sorts. Yeah, that is a big surprise that Connor Lamb, who got, got on the political map because he won a, a special election in a very, very Trump-friendly district. If you look at the back of his baseball card, he is he knows how to win general elections. And yet, in a, he's never really had to deal with a primary, and he's not been able to get any traction in a Democratic primary against the sitting lieutenant governor, John Fetterman, who is is running uh, a little bit more progressively. Though I, I will note that Fetterman, who kind of was known as a progressive, has sort of moderated his own positions in this primary to head off any uh, attacks from Connor Lamb. So Fetterman looks like I mean, the polling is pretty consistent, both internal and public polling. Uh, Fetterman, it looks like he could win this race easily, and that is good in a primary. The big question, though, is... Is he electable in a general election? Is he going to be able to, you know, keep keep Pennsylvania uh, or flip Pennsylvania, I guess, as far as the Senate goes into the Democratic column? Uh, we'll see. It depends on who the Republicans nominate. It depends on the quality of campaign Fetterman runs in a general election if he's the nominee. Because we're talking about these two now, is 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 the former president right? If a candidate on the Republican side ends up facing somebody who's not Connor Lamb and not a moderate, but a progressive like Fetterman in a swing state where Biden won, but not by much in 2020, is Oz the guy who, who could win, even if he said some things on his show that, that conservatives didn't like? Um, is, is that a better matchup for Republicans if, they are, if, they're, if they're hoping to obviously take that Senate seat? No, I mean, Oz could win. I, I think he'd, he'd be electable against a, a Democrat in this political environment. But I think Oz has a lot more baggage, even in a general election, in that he, he it, even though he, on these cultural issues, on some of the policy issues, he's been on the left. He has also endorsed some of the Trump election denialism that is really problematic in a general election. So he's almost overcompensated for his lack of conservatism by being more MAGA or trying to be more MAGA in the final couple of weeks. Whereas, I, you know, my, my read of the McCormick campaign 
campaign is that they they've played to the right, they've played to Trump voters as well, but they've had a they've drawn a, 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 a they've drawn a line. And since they didn't get Trump's Trump's endorsement, they're focusing more on substance. I don't think uh, Oz is more electable than McCormick if it comes down to a general election. Okay, and let's talk about House seats because again, like Ohio. Uh, there are some some seats that are considered toss-ups that are held by Democrats now that Republicans have their eye on in the fall. I know there's a lot of attention being paid to the 17th. That's open because Connor Lamb's running for Senate. There's the 12th district uh, representing the Pittsburgh area. But the two districts that have um, have also caught attention of Republicans heading into the fall are the 7th and 8th districts. Those are considered toss-ups currently held by Democrats. What are you looking at as, uh, you know, as swingy in this yeah, swing. The the ones you just mentioned, Jess, the seventh and the eighth, that's Susan Wild, Congressman Susan Wild in the seventh, Congressman Matt Cartwright in the eighth. Those are gonna be the, the 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 swing districts along with the the seat that Connor Lamb is is vacating. So there there are three swing districts in Pennsylvania. Uh, those are gonna be the big races to watch. Uh, you've got Republican you already have the a good sense of who the Republicans are gonna be. You got Lisa Scheller running last time came very close to winning in in in, in 2020 she's running again looks like she's going to be the nominee against susan wilde you've got jim bonnier who's the favorite in the republican primary he also ran last time and, and lost narrowly in in, in, a, in a in a close race so those are the swing districts the primary i'm watching is, is on the democratic side and that's in the in the district that uh Mike Doyle, the Pittsburgh area congressman, is leaving. Uh, you've got a traditional moderate, a pragmatic Democrat, uh, Steve Irwin, who is an attorney and is running like Joe Biden would in the primary. And you've got a very far left Democrat, Summer Lee, who is a state legislator, a political organizer, uh, who, who is very, she would be much closer to Cori Bush or, you know, AOC if she got elected to Congress. And I, I think if she got elected, you might be hearing more and more about her. Uh, so this is a very competitive primary. It's going to be a really important test of the moderates versus the progressives within the Democratic Party. Okay, Josh, now let's move to Georgia because after. Pennsylvania votes in their primary, we move to Georgia. It's become such an interesting state, right? What we thought of was as a, as a red state has two Democratic senators currently. Um, let's talk about how President Trump has backed David Perdue. He uh, lost in the last Senate race, right, to John Ossoff, the, the Democrat. Purdue's now running against Governor Brian Kemp for the governor's seat. So let's, let's talk about the, the governor's seat here. The polling is... I mean, there's no two ways about it. It's it's backing Kemp right now. And the former president, Donald Trump, has said the GOP is going to be miserable if Kemp continues to be the governor. I know they have a history over the 2020 election. Um, what's your sense of what's going on with GOP voters? They like the they like the guy they have, right? They like Kemp and they they don't want Purdue. Yeah, Trump has had trouble unseating governors he doesn't like and george is the, <laughs> the the textbook he hates brian kemp he has been yeah. on a mission to oust him from office he handpicked uh, senator purdue who lost in the last election to come back and to challenge a, a former friend of his uh and he's not doing and, and trump is failing miserably he he at least if you believe the the, the polling on all sides showing kemp uh, you know well above 50 percent up by 20 to 30 points in, in all these polls uh this looks like it could be a landslide for governor kemp who by the way was pretty conservative Governed, governed, and as a conservative, and the only thing that that drew opposition was the fact that he certified the 
the election, the actual election right. results in, in Georgia. Trump could not abide by that. He's not just going after Brian Kemp, uh, Jess, but he's going after almost every other Republican office holder he doesn't like, including the Secretary of State, Brad, Brad Raffensperger, right. and a whole host of other Republicans. Uh, his winning record in Georgia is going to be pretty bad. Um, certainly, it's going to be headlined by the governor's race. But uh, this is an example of you can't just look at one race, but this is a, this will be the biggest, unless something dramatically changes in the next few weeks, at least, this could be the biggest uh, defeat for, for Trump. And it could be uh, turning around the perception that he is this mightiest figure able to uh, endorse anyone successfully that he wants to. And whoever the Republican is, is, is going to face that is going to face Stacey Abrams. Right. I mean, she's it looks like she's probably going to be the Democratic uh, nominee for governor in in Georgia. Um, but the poll, we, they already have polling um, showing uh, the matchup between Kemp and Abrams. And it like you've noted, the climate isn't isn't great for Democrats. Does Georgia say no to Stacey Abrams again? Yeah, it, it, the political environment when she ran, when Stacey Abrams ran and came close to defeating Brian Kemp in 2018 was about as good as it gets for Democrats. The political environment in 2022 where Abrams is seeking a rematch against Brian Kemp is about as bad as it can be for, for Democrats. So, you know, she's going to have a real challenge. I have a hard time seeing that if she couldn't win in 2018 uh, when the political environment was at historic highs for Democrats, that with all the baggage Democrats have, and I think she brings a little more baggage to the table uh, as well. Uh, she ended up, a lot, she's getting a lot of criticism for, because of her activism, pushing the All-Star game, the baseball All-Star game out of, out oh, right. of Atlanta. That is not popular, and, and she now has more of a record and her image is not uh, all that good in Georgia. So, you know, I think she has a chance. She has a lot of money and, and she has a brand. But I think it's going to be really tough for Stacey Abrams to win in this political environment uh, in Georgia. Last one. Uh, I, you've educated us all on Herschel Walker. Um, he is polling very well, uh, going up against Raphael Warnock, the current sitting Democratic senator in Georgia, one of them. Uh, but he hasn't shown up to a single debate. It sounds like the his, his Republican rivals, Walker's Republican rivals, are are hoping to just see him in a runoff. I mean, what what's what's happening with Herschel Walker's campaign? It is unusual, Jess. That usually, even if you're you're a new candidate, you just like a football player, you want to get reps. You want to. This is training camp. This is a right. chance for you. You're going to win the nomination. Get get some opportunities on Fox News. Go go and talk to the press a little bit so you can get prepared for what's going to be a rough and tumble matchup against Senator Raphael Warnock. Uh, Herschel Walker is not doing a whole lot of public appearances. He's not out there a whole lot, and that could foreshadow some trouble in a, in, a, in a tough general election. And we all know the baggage that's out there about past domestic abuse in his history. We'll see if that becomes a major, major problem. Uh, Senator Warnock also has some issues, personal issues that may may end up coming up in, in this election. But look, the biggest asset Herschel Walker has is that this is such a good political environment. And, and Senator Warnock has a fairly liberal voting record. He's not been one of these Joe Manchin types or Kirsten Cinema types that actually votes along the middle. He's been, been a little more center left to the left of, 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 of the Democratic Party. But look, Candidates matter. And, and if you need to have someone who can, you know, run the ball and, uh, you know, you have to have someone who can actually take advantage of this political environment. So it remains to be seen. Well, we'll know a little bit better once this election yeah. begins for the general election, how well Herschel Walker is going to fare. Josh Grassauer, again, thank you so much for your time and your expertise. We appreciate it. Thanks, Jess.
That will do it for this week's Fox News Rundown from Washington. Next week, the Senate debates new abortion legislation. Democrats say it is urgent. It is unlikely to advance. However, we will follow the votes. And the House Speaker is signing off on pay raises for low-level congressional staff. It is designed to recruit and retain top talent. Stay tuned for that reporting. Oh, and we have more primaries. West Virginia has a House race pitting two Republican incumbents against each other, one with the backing of former President Trump, the other with the support of the state's governor. Until then, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay in touch with those you care about. For our entire team here at Fox News Radio, thank you for listening. I'm Jared Halpern from Washington. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.